There are people that um, I have to believe that they probably mean well, but they aren't, they're doing harm by saying it's only the extroverts that are true leaders, or you have to be hundred percent decisive and quick decisiveness. I have one um, working with one introvert leader who's learned to say a phrase that is a great idea. It works with a lot of extroverts, a lot of active people. She's more reserved and she's able to say, yeah, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. I'm going to definitely think about that for the next few days and I'll get back to you on it. Hello, and welcome to the Voices of Vision Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Lee Nasahi. And today we'll be speaking with Mark A. Pittman, CSP, Concord Leadership Group founder, author, and speaker. Mark has been studying leadership for over 30 years, leading to a master's in organizational leadership and certification as a Franklin Covey coach. Combining his ongoing education with his own experience, Mark helps leaders lead their teams with more effectiveness and less stress. I love his latest book, which is The Surprising Gift of Doubt, Use Uncertainty to Become the Exceptional Leader You Are Meant to Be. He's also the author of Ask Without Fear, which has been translated into many languages. And he's the executive director of the nonprofitacademy.com and a former advisory panel member of Rogar, Rogar, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correct. You can help me out, Mark a prestigious international fundraising think tank. And we're going to try to talk to Mark about all these things today. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks so much. It's an honor to be here. Oh, we are just thrilled to have you. Um, there are so many things I want to chat with you about, Mark, but um, I thought we'd start with just getting to know you a little bit better. Would you mind sharing a little bit about your background and, and personal life? Where do you live? Things like that. Sure. I was born at a young age and my parents' names were mom and dad. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm based out of Greenville, South Carolina, but I'm uh, not from around here, as they often remind me. I'm from the Northeast. I grew up in New England and uh, did a decade or so on Long Island, New York. Um, the uh, kind of just love learning, love uh, the, the process and the game of formal education, as well as the process of informal education. So learning to get a grade on a test is a fun game for me, but also mm-hmm. just learning to actually implement knowledge is uh, equally fun. And uh, I love uh, married 26 years uh, to uh, married to, really crazy young, but my uh, best friend is still my wife, which is very cool. That's and we have nice. Three kids. Uh, they're all grad doing some form of graduation. Um, in the coming months. Oh, nice. <laughs> high school, community college, and college. Um, oh, very cool. Yeah. And then in my spare time, I love to do home brewing. Um, oh, yeah. The process of making things and making beer is one of that is incredibly exciting for me. I'm on a, a road to become a sommelier of beer. Uh, a Cicerone, they call it instead of sommelier. But yeah. I'm oh, that's very interesting. On a leisurely journey toward that certification. I've got the first of <laughs> the first stage done, but the next stage is really big. So nice. Uh, well, thanks for that. And uh, so, Mark, you know that I, I read your book, um, The Surprising Gift of Doubt, and thoroughly enjoyed it. The subtitle is Use Uncertainty to Become the Exceptional Leader You Are Meant to Be. As we are currently living in the midst of exceptional and sustained uncertainty, 
I think our listeners will be particularly interested in how they can use this uncertainty to further their leadership capabilities. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. I think um, the one of the things that I've been doing executive coaching since 2003, uh, but as you mentioned earlier, studying leadership long before that. And one, I think one thing that is, seems pretty common with people, especially high performers, is being uh, surprised by doubt surprised by um, the nagging feeling that they're faking it, uh, that they're, mm-hmm. they um, don't really know what they're doing, but everybody else seems to really be confident in their ability to do what they're setting out to do. Oh yeah. Uh, so it's not, and there are some people that don't, aren't nagged by doubt, uh, but mo- more often than not, it's one of the most common emotions for humans <laughs> that are leading. I but, think the uh, ones who aren't nagged by doubt should be. Lee, I didn't want to, I wanted to say that because I had some faces that popped into mind and they weren't necessarily the most, the best leaders to emulate. Some people are naturally gifted with confidence. So I'll just say that yeah. some healthy people too. But um, the, uh, one of the problems or challenges with being a leader is that it's not, it's not safe. I had, I had a leader mm-hmm. of a uh, hundred people who, uh, her department was a hundred people. And she said, I, you know, I understand vulnerability is supposed to be a leadership strength, but my hundred people need to know that they have a job tomorrow. They don't want my, my uncertainty. Uh, and so knowing where to share it and how to share it is, is important because, um, I was doing a a session with a bunch of, for new executive directors. Uh, Mm -hmm. there's a, everybody in the panel had been an executive director three to five years. So they were still new enough to the position for it all to be fresh. They hadn't, uh, and they were honest, just wonderfully authentic people. And uh, the level of, well, I thought I was going to have an easy ending to the to the interview. I asked them, it, the whole room was charged. It was standing room only. People, wow. the, the panel was really authentic in the struggles and the hardships and the things that the surprises that they, they got. But um, at the end, so the softball I tried to lob them was, all right, so you've been at this now three to five years. At what point did you start sleeping through the night again? Mm-hmm. And there was a pause <laughs> and they all looked at each other. Have you started sleeping through the night? I haven't started sleeping through the night. And there was wow. a kind of a ripple across the room because the people that were already executive directors knew the feeling of trying to meet payroll and the people that weren't couldn't believe that. Wait, is that what I'm signing up for? Insomnia? Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, so maybe. Decades yeah, and of it's, it. There are very <laughs> few places. Like, exactly, right? Very few places like that where it's safe to be able to be a leader and say with, with peers and just kind of let your hair down and say, I, I, don't, I don't know where I'm going and then find out that that's normal and then working from there to where you're going to go. So I, I think, I think, I guess to answer your question <laughs> that the doubt is um, if it's taken the right way, it can be an invitation to explore why you're different, why instead of seeing all your deficits and all that you lack, it could be an invitation to explore why you might be perfect for the mm-hmm. role that you're in or why your organization may be perfect for the sector it's in. Oh, it's awesome. Different, it's quirky, but there could be, that could be, you know, features, not bugs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I I really liked the the leader's journey model that you um, outlined in the book. Can you can you describe that for our listeners a bit? Absolutely, sure. So as I've been doing the um, work with with leaders, I, I've tried to explain what executive coaching is, and um, that usually doesn't <laughs> make sense to people. They think it sounds normal. Oh, I, you know, I'd love for our listeners to hear that too. So if you could talk about both, that'd be great. 
Sure. Well, at parties when people say, what do you do? And I say, well, I'm an executive coach. I'd say, oh yeah. And then you'd see their face kind of scrunch up with, I don't, so what do you do? <laughs> I don't even know <laughs> if my parents actually know what I do, <laughs> but I get to be that safe place uh, for people on a, on a week, you know, every uh, athlete has a coach and sometimes they, you know, like in some sports, I guess in baseball, they have coaches for different parts of the game, pitching coaches, batting coaches, other, you know, running coaches. Um, and so that's, it's an executive coach gets to be similar to that, um, as a, for high performing leaders, uh, a place where leaders do the necessary leading work of reflecting and learning and growing and just a, a kind of exploring in a where place that they're not freaking out their, their clients or their staff or their board or supervisors. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, coaching is, so coaching is something that's transformed me. And so I was really um, honored that I get to be a coach as well and, and have been doing that now, like I said, for almost two decades. Uh, in doing that, the leader's journey is sort of the way that I try to normalize Mm -hmm. um, an experience that I have, I have used for, I have created this for the leader's journey, but I've had others tell me that this is human journey. This is a, any learning, anything is this fits, uh, much, much, many more situations than I had originally created it for. But, uh, if you're not driving, you can take out a piece of <laughs> a piece of paper and a pen and do just a simple four quadrant, you know, vertical and a horizontal line. The vertical line is what I call the confidence axis. The horizontal line is the inputs axis at the top of the confidence axis. You have confident and at the bottom you put on shore and on the left side of the input axis, you can put internal external and on the right side, you can put internal. So these four stages, these four quadrants become the stages of the journey. You typically start most, most leaders to the only, as far as I, my, in my experience, most leaders only get half the map and I'll explain that oh, wow. in just a second. Right. It's Yeah. So the first two quadrants are usually what most leaders experience and they, mm -hmm. uh, it takes a, something very traumatic or something very, uh, transformative to get them to, to the second half. But the first, the first two quadrants are quadrant one, where you're really confident you've been given a role of leading a project or leading a team or having charge over something. And even if you don't have confidence in your own abilities, you have at least enough confidence in the person that's put you in charge. Um, and you're looking to them for the cues. So you're, I call that the observe quadrant because you've been observing people all your life, your parent, all life, all of your life, your parents, coaches, teachers, bosses. And so you try to copy what they're doing. That their mannerisms, their habits, their, their uh, communication styles seem to work for them. So you're, you're likely to think that they'll work for you too. Um, one of the things that happens though, and I'm sure you've experienced this, Lee, is that what worked for somebody else doesn't always work for you. Right. Which causes your confidence to start dropping because you start wondering, well, what's wrong with me? Why well, isn't this, why isn't this working the way it did for that person? Um, and that drops you into quadrant two, which I call the experiment quadrant, where you start trying to fix the problem. What is my problem? People skills, or is it finance? Or is it, you know, do I need a certification or do I need to go to this conference or go to that pod, you know, listen to that podcast or, or get this, this series or, get a degree, um, you start w learning and trying to, it's mostly trying to fill the, fill what's broken with you, what's wrong with you or with your organization. Uh, most leaders kind of lurch from fix to fix uh, in this place. They tend to have, they can have tremendous successes in their, uh, 
history mm-hmm. so much so that everybody around them feels like, wow, this is, you, you've got it. You've, you're totally going to be, I, you know, whatever you put your hand to, you, you make happen, but they're filled with a growing sense of, of this um, imposter syndrome or this kind of, this awareness of, I know how bad I am. I know how ill-equipped I am to do this. Why, you know, am I lying to people when, when they, by not telling them, you know, that, or by, yeah, by not telling them that their confidence isn't well-founded. Um, and so you can live lurching from this, you know, certain success to certain success. We did this in the hospital. I was part of um, the, we'd go every two years or so, we'd do a new kind of curriculum in a box, whether it was fish sticks one year and raving fans the next or some right. sort of, yeah, you have the trainers come in, you drop the, you know, do the balloon confetti drop, create a whole new language. For oh yeah. I've been there. <laughs> so, and, and there's nothing wrong with these two quadrants, but there, there's a tremendous it, 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 quadrant two. The biggest question is often, am I broken? Am I really, am I just totally broken? Uh, I did a survey of over a thousand CEO, nonprofit CEOs and a full one in 10 of them felt they had no confidence in their ability to do the job. Wow. There's just this, yeah, it was shocking. And, and it was, I mean, it was, there was more that had a lot a minimal confidence, but one in 10 had no confidence at all in their ability to do the job. And that could be that you're not the right person for the job, but where the doubt, if I think what I like to do as a coach is help people see that doubt is maybe, maybe it's not you. That's the issue. Maybe it's the systems that you're in mm-hmm. and that forces you to move into the third quadrant, which is where you get into the second half of the map, where you start looking at your internal cues. Often we've had nudges, we've had the inner voice and it's saying the one, it's not criticizing us really loudly. It's saying, you know, that doesn't feel right, or that's not the way you do it. Uh, it could be an easy example, could be an uh, introvert leader that's trying to copy extroverts. Oh, they gosh, get ext- yeah. Introverts, you know, tend to get energy from being alone. And so mm-hmm. closing their door and maybe having a little more bureaucracy in the office, uh, having more uh, agendas for the meetings, knowing what's coming can be a great way for them to modulate their energy where if they're trying to be that kind of walk around the office, just, you know, high-fiving everybody that can be incredibly draining, but for the person that they're copying, it could be the the way they recharge their batteries. They get drained doing paperwork. And so they go out and walk around and talk to people and just like a little bit of chaos, like not knowing the answers to things. Um, So in the quadrant three, the analyzed quadrant, that's where you start wondering, huh, Maybe this isn't, maybe this is a feature, not a bug. Maybe as an introvert, um, there's different ways that I can, I can run this organization than before. That's right. Um, there's not just one model. Well, and that's the, well, the crazy thing too is, you know, I've, as you know, I've worked a lot with nonprofits and the boards, the nonprofit board's role is to hire and fire the CEO and, and do the strategic plan. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, when they hire the next CEO, they tend to go for everything that the former CEO lacked without realizing that they're not going to get what everything that the former CEO had. Oh <laughs> so, my gosh. Yeah. So there's this kind of uh, whiplash that organizations get because they go from a gregarious people person that wasn't so into details to, they try to hire someone with details and wonder where the people stuff go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as leaders get to go in through this quadrant three space, be in this analyzed step, they start learning the language that they can tell their story and shape their own leadership style or explain why they're making decisions. It's not that you throw out all the external cues. It's not that you throw out good principles. There's, there's really good things there, but you understand why maybe it doesn't work for you. 
And yeah. as you start doing that, it moves up to the fourth quadrant, which is the focus quadrant of your confidence starts going back up. And it's not focused in the sense of, you know, angelic choirs and blissful. <laughs> because <laughs> we're still on a planet with a whole bunch of human beings and we happen to be a human being too. So it's not going to be perfect, but it's the, the confidence of knowing that kind of quiet confidence of knowing, you know, the full map, you know, if, do I need to look for people to mentor me? Do I need to look for systems or maybe a degree to help with something? Or do I need to look to see the, all of these tend to not work for me? Why is that? Is it something about maybe as opposed to a deficiency that needs to be fixed? Maybe it's something that I get to offer to the sector instead. Yeah, that's awesome. I I, just I get excited about that. this, as you can tell. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's good stuff, and um, you know, frankly, I could relate to all of it. I feel like you know, I have fortunately crossed to the other half, um, but I'm in a new position, so I started feeling those doubts again when I first came to Vision Serve Alliance, mm. and. Um, you know, can relate to the, the idea of this imposter syndrome. Why did they pick me? Surely there's somebody else who can do this better, right? <laughs> well, and unfortunately our boards, uh, For I don't, I'm not saying this about yours, but in my experience, uh, our boards, we don't do a good job onboarding our boards. So often our individual board members think that they're the boss of the CEO. Oh and yeah. So they have all sorts of hangups and um, narratives that they don't, or idiosyncrasies, things that they've seen work in other places, and they just try to foist it on to executive directors, almost to the extent of, uh, it's almost like they think the executive director is their admin. So they keep piling on to-dos instead of looking to the visionary leader that they're meant to hire and expecting them to visionarily lead. <laughs> they, oh, yeah. they treat them like uh, a lackey, um, you know. To, oh gosh, to that's a whole stuff. other um, workshop <laughs> we'll have to get into about um, governance. But yes, many of our members, unfortunately, have struggled with dysfunctional boards and, and them not understanding what nonprofit governance really should look like. I can say that doesn't happen at VisionServe. I yeah. have the best board ever. And it, I think it's because we have all of our members are our CEOs themselves. And that's mm, who we choose that from so helps. to serve on yep. the board. So yeah. that's one thing I, I want, if, first of all, before we move on, if you're a board member listening to this, it's largely not your fault. Um, right. The nonprofit should be onboarding you and training you how to, how to go. That's right. And if you're a nonprofit person listening on to this, if you're not on a board, I'd strongly encourage you to get on some board because you need to understand if, you're, if your organization is run by a community board of volunteers or a board of directors or board of trustees, you need to understand what it's like to be one. Yeah, uh, it's the nonprofit's not going to become the center of their universe. They have a full life and they're being generous in their time, talent and treasure by serving. Um, and you'll understand that more if you're also on a board. I think that's terrific advice. Absolutely. So there's so many um, wonderful things in this book, Mark. I, it's hard to to choose a few, but I'm going to go to one of the many assessments, exercises, and self-management mm. tools that you shared in the book and, and listeners chock full of, of great tools and ideas. So there, one of them I was uh, completely unfamiliar with, and, and I'm looking forward to, to learning more about it is the Enneagram. Um, could you tell us a little bit about this tool and why our listeners might want to consider using it? 
I am thoroughly enamored with this. So how many hours do we have again? For the <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Um, so the Enneagram in short is a, a nine type uh, typology or personally ty personal typing formula or schema that basically posits that er human beings early in life realize this is not a safe place to be and develop a story or a way of dealing with the world to protect themselves. And so there, and there are nine basic storylines for that. Mm -hmm. um, the, we, it's, I heard of it as, as coming from, um, in part from Sufi, Sufi, uh, the, a, the mystical sect of, uh, Islam. Yes. Um, there's also in the Odyssey Homer's journey way on the way home, it, the, the stops he makes follow the Enneagram, the way we present it. Oh, backwards. really? Nine, wow. nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Um, there's, uh, Dante's Inferno has each of these nine types in the different levels. Uh, Beatrice Chestnut does a beautiful job of showing the, that, uh, Michael Goldberg, if you're a reader, Michael Goldberg has a, um, a book about going home with Odysseus and he doesn't ever use the term Enneagram, but he shows each of the stops being as descriptive of the Enneagram uh, personality types. How interesting. So why I love it is that um, it is, for some people it doesn't fit and that's totally fine. No assessment should be anything that cages you. No assessment should be something that confines you or tells you what you can or can't do. It only should help you both understand yourself and have more grace and understanding others. Absolutely. But, for me, what has helped, I love the dynamism in it. If you look at the symbol, it's a complex symbol. Um, not only are there nine types, but there are arrows moving. And th those arrows show you ways of growth and stress or the connections you have between other, other numbers. So we tend to go lean, on, lean into one direction when we're in stress and we tend to lean into another direction when we're kind of getting out of our defensiveness. The whole point of the Enneagram really isn't to get a coffee mug with your number on it. Although that could be fun. <laughs> um, it's to, to be first reflective and aware of your, your defense mechanisms, your patterns, your way of being, and then to be on, go beyond that because the armor that we build early in life can become uh, a cage that traps us. And yes. we don't want to be trapped in the cage. You want to be able to be transcend, even transcend that. So, but I love it. I love the, uh, I found in teams that we've worked with, there was one team that did the disc assessment mm -hmm. um, for type, for, for personality type, also going back to the ancient Greeks um, that uh, we all thought we were, we thought it was very helpful, gave us a common language to be able to talk to each other. So very kind of personal things that didn't feel like we were personally attacking people anymore because we could use the DISC labels. Yeah. And we did the Enneagram the next year and the Enneagram helped us to really fine tune that so that, um, the, we actually, over the course of two or three years, whereas disc and others are assessments, you take the assessment and it tells you what you are. The Enneagram there aren't really any good assessments for that. Um, I think chestnut Pice Enneagram Academy has the closest to being spot on, but it's more of a wisdom tradition thing. So any assessment you take is basically just showing you a few numbers that you might want to consider. Um, and that's what our, our experience with that team was. We all took an assessment. We were typed the same. Three of us were typed the same. And it turns out that uh, over the course of the next year, because they kept kind of going back to this and reading more on the Enneagram, the, uh, two of them realized that they weren't the same type. They were different. And that wow. helped us transform and unleash the potential in our team because one of the problematic areas that we had became no more, no longer problematic because we were able to structure the same quality of work, same quantity of work, but kind of share it in ways that were more life-giving to each of the members. It was, it was, yeah. 
my uh, the book the story in the book is uh, talks about a leader saying i all of a sudden i realized that the person isn't a weed they're a plant that's just planted in the wrong place and that was came from that experience it was i love the potential that this unlocks with with teams very nice how, how do you uh you mentioned a couple times i'm not sure i caught it if you could say that more clearly how would uh one of our listeners access more information and um, sort of the scales for Enneagram? Um, well, definitely uh, the, if you Google it, you'll find a bunch of stuff, but a lot okay. of it isn't much better than a Disney, uh, you know, a Buzzfeed or what Disney princess are you? Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, and somebody has asked me that since writing the book. So Cinderella <laughs> was one of them. The other one was the Wreck-It Ralph. Um, I'm not remembering her name right now, but the the heroine in Wreck-It Ralph. So those are the two princesses I tested as. But um, the the program I, I, IEQ9, IE, I don't know, Enneagram, maybe not Q9. That is a good profile. Uh, a lot of people have liked that. I also like EnneagramProfiling.com, which okay. is the... Uh, the chestnut pies, Beatrice Chestnut and Uranus Pies are, are two of the teachers that I, I follow a lot. Um, a book that would be good uh, would be The Road Back to You mm. by Suzanne Stabile and Ian Morgan Crone. It's one of the most readable books I've seen on the internet. Very nice. Well, I'll have to add that to the list. Well, and Beatrice Chestnut. So if we're doing books, um, I read 50 to 75 a year. So sorry if I overbook you. That's but, okay. Um, the uh, Beatrice Chestnut's The Nine Types of Leadership is mm -hmm. brilliant. Con um, I had used the Enneagram as for my own personal growth for, uh, for a few decades, but reading that book helped me to see that I could use it in organizational contexts too, and uh, have it be received well. So Beatrice Chestnut, the nine types of leadership. She talks about how all nine types can be good leaders, which I firmly believe. And, yes. Um, and um, I, I think I mentioned to you in one of our earlier conversations that that was something of a, a realization, a recent realization for me. I, I felt like um, some of the learning I'd gotten from DISC made it sound yeah. like there are only there are certain types that can be leaders. So if you know a, a particular profile would suggest you're not a leader, but that's not at all true. There are leaders of from all kinds of personality types and backgrounds and all levels. Well, and that's why going into quadrant three can be really, it's often an internal journey first. Mm -hmm. uh, and it can be really scary because there are people that um, I have to believe that they probably mean well, but they aren't, they're doing harm by saying it's only the extroverts that are true leaders, or you have to be hundred yes. percent decisive and quick decisiveness. I have one um, working with one introvert leader who's learned to say a phrase that is a great idea. It works with a lot of extroverts, a lot of active people. She's more reserved and she's able to say, you yeah, know, that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. I'm going to definitely think about that for the next few days and then I'll get back to you on it. So yes. she's learned phrasing to build in her reserve nature of, I need to think this through. I'm not going to just make it. I, I will not make a decision on the spot. Um, and I love that she's standing up for herself in that way. And that phrasing has signaled to her, the people that she works with. I heard you. Wow, you know, and it honors them. Wow, that sounds great, um, and it gives them a time frame for when they'll have something back, uh, which had been causing a lot of stress because they were all very active, you know, kind of extroverted people, and thought that the reserved nature was something wrong <laughs> with the person. Yeah, um, or not leadership agree. traits, not leadership quality, and um, she's getting to own that and redefine that for them, uh, which is it's it's fun to be able to be part of that. No, I, I think that's terrific. 
Um, so I'm going to go back to the beginning of our discussion, um, acknowledging that we're living in a time of extraordinary uncertainty. How are you feeling about the future, Mark? And, you know, like just what kind of general advice do you have for leaders who are trying to keep their teams focused and calm and moving forward? Wow. The conflicting emotions that just went in me <laughs> when you asked yeah. that, because I'm generally, uh, you know, they, they have the glasses half full or the glasses half empty people. I'm, I'm a glasses always full person. Mm. So I'm generally an optimist. The glasses either got air in it or liquid. It's always full. So I, can, <laughs> I love, I love seeing the good in all things. Um, the, so I think I am po generally positive. I think there's seismic shifts that are happening in our society and in our world that are, um, some of them are risky, but the ones that I, I see are going to be helping propel us to much more authentic and real conversations and uh -huh. um, tear down some uh, systemic inequities that have um, just have been intentionally built up, but also unintentionally reinforced. Uh -huh. uh, so I think there's a, a tremendous time that's coming moving forward. The challenge for leaders I'm seeing is that oftentimes their staff is ready before they are or before oh, wow. they're their bureau before their organization is ready. So many staff are coming more from a burn it all down kind of perspective. Yeah. And the leader is trying to navigate change while still making payroll. Mm -hmm. And um, that looks more like uh, that isn't as valued by the burn it all down type people. Um, and often the things that I'm hearing from uh, my clients is the staff members aren't necessarily wrong in what they're seeing. But um, you just trying, can't take that big step yeah. in one jump. <laughs> right. And it risks the people that they're serving. It risks a oh, lot of yeah. things if they do. Um, so I think that's going to be one of the really trying times. And unfortunately, um, it's it's shredding boards apart, too, uh, mm -hmm. because there are some major, major issues that need to be uh, dealt with. And um, the there. Yeah, there's just different ways of approaching it. And. Um, slowness can see, be seen as complacency when it's not necessarily, it could be making systemic change instead of just performative change. Right. Um, and I think that's going to be one of the hardest, hardest things for, for leaders going through. And I hopefully, um, as, as boards start doing orientation, there's, I know for myself, there, uh, a committee that I'm, I've, <laughs> I volunteered for and became the chair of, um, <laughs> uh, I'm starting an orientation process that in involves right from the start, how are we going to deal with conflict? Because we will have conflict. Um, I've heard some executive directors that say that too, the new board members, they mm -hmm. say, welcome to the board. So glad you're here. You know, one thing I need to tell you is there will come a time when we don't agree. Right. And when that comes, it's not a personal attack. It's not, um, it's, and they just lay the groundwork for, I respect you. I hope yeah. you respect me. We are all in this together. We're in this for good. Uh, and that builds some of the kind of, um, foundation for, you know, 18 months, three months, maybe 18 months, two years, whatever later when they're able to say, Hey, remember when I told you about there'll be a time when we don't agree, this is that time. And you're way out of line right now, but I need you to hear that in the terms of what we talked about back then. Um, yeah. so just, so Boy, that's terrific. Isn't that powerful to contextualize it that way? Yes, yeah. it is. It, it's also, I think as you started a, a super important observation that we're in an era of managing tremendous change to acknowledge 
uh, in your organization that change is needed. And, and even these are the areas we're going to be working on, but there's going to be a process and there are different models to change could also um, diffuse some of that, that tension and conflict. One of the things I saw when the pandemic lockdowns hit um, was that it one of the, well, again, I don't want to sound glib, but one of the, I guess I'll say interesting instead of uh, things that I saw was it was a basically a global acknowledgement of we don't know what we're doing. Hmm. We don't, not, not from a scientific perspective, but just we don't know how this is going to impact us. We don't know what, right. how to best get a handle on this. And that was um, hmm. unique to us. I, I mean, it's the first time in my lifetime that that's happened, which I think hopefully will have some level of, I hope we don't lose that sense yeah. for leaders going forward. But what I saw, the leaders that seemed to handle it best were the ones that could admit, yeah, hmm. we don't know. Um, yeah. but, but also have it backed up with, but this is what we do know. And those, what we do knows tended to be values of the organization. So if, if listeners were to do nothing else, but that just try to define what are their own personal values and then what are the values of their organization, um, that could be something that you can keep coming back to because usually we resonate with those values, those core values of, uh, I remember one leader saying, I don't know what's going to happen going forward. It looks like all of our revenue has just been cut. Um, we, I do know that we respect each other, uh, that we are going to do everything we can to make sure we'll get through this together. We might make to, need to make some tough decisions about staffing, but our intent is to do that openly and honestly and talk it through. Uh, our intent is not to, to surprise anybody. Um, because And they go, went back to the values of uh, honoring each other individually, which really freed up the staff to not have to have as much, well, it just freed them up to be able to think creatively as opposed to think protectively and defensively about uh, their own position. No, I think that's great. Well, Mark, we're, we're almost out of time, but I, I wanted to give you a moment to tell us a little bit about the Nonprofit Academy. Oh, thank you. So one of the things I've been uh, doing, I've been working with nonprofit leaders and in, as a nonprofit major gift fundraiser and capital campaign guy for uh, most of my working career. And I have always wanted the training and I, Dave Dunlap, an early uh, mentor of mine, made me promise to keep all the trainings open to volunteers. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why uh, I, the Nonprofit Academy is a huge privilege to have. It's a um, $19 a month investment for over a hundred trainings from the top trainers around the world that um, are, are geared. I asked them to gear it to a one to one and a half FTE office. So one or one and a half full-time person. Um, so it's actionable. It's practical. It's not high theory. It's not have your team do this and have your team do that. When, you know, you're sitting there thinking, where's, there's no team. Um, and every month there's a new training that comes in at least one. Uh, we've gone through, uh, the first six months of this year, we've had two, at least two live trainings a, a month. They're all recorded. All the presenters, uh, give offer their slides right on the training page. And then we also have a monthly check-in call with each other where we bring up what we, today, uh, at the time of this recording, we were just talking about our latest training, but often people will come with, hey, I've got this gala coming up, or I have this donor doing this, or I have a board member doing that, or I have a staff member doing this, and we all pull our, our insights together. So uh, most <laughs> my uh, two, two people in my life that are very dear to me um, are 
continue to say I undervalue it because it's only $19 a month and it gets better every every month, but I want to make sure it's as accessible to as many nonprofit folks. And it's based on, I guess the last thing I'll say about this is it's based on their time, not our time. So the reason they're all recorded and, and uploaded to the page same day is that nonprofit professionals are so busy. They shouldn't have to oh, wait gosh, yeah. for when it's convenient for the speakers to show up live. Mm -hmm. They should be able to get the information when it's convenient for them to get the information. Very nice. Well, I encourage everyone to check that out. And um, I, I think we're actually coming up on our time, Mark. I really enjoyed talking with you. And I want to invite you to share with our listeners how they can get more information about you and your resources. Wonderful. I, I thank you so much for that. That's very generous. I try to be very Googleable. So if you Google Mark A. Pittman, Mark with a C, Pittman with one T, uh, I should come up all over. Uh, ConcordLeadershipGroup.com is where that's the hub for the different sites that I run, including the Nonprofit Academy. Uh, I like to be on Twitter at Mark A. Pittman, M-A-R-C-A-P as in Peter, I-T-M-A-N. Um, and if people want to email, they can just email me at Mark at ConcordLeadershipGroup.com or message me at, on LinkedIn. Fantastic. And I, I encourage all of you to, to read his book, The Surprising Gift of Doubt. And I'm looking forward to reading some of your other books as well, Mark, and the other books that you have recommended. So I really appreciate it and um, hope that we'll be hearing more from you through Vision Serve Alliance in the very near future. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Lee. So this is Lee Nasahi talking with Mark Pittman, author and founder of the Concord Leadership Group. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, inspire a shared vision, challenge the process, and encourage the heart. This is the Voices of Vision Leaders podcast.